Welcome to another edition of the APA Podcast. This episode is brought to you by ENCODE Plus. Would you like to make your development regulations online and fully interactive? Wish your GIS map was online with links to the zoning districts and standards? With ENCODE Plus, all this is possible. This cloud-based software manages your ordinance content and publishes it to the web. Plus, you're able to update and manage in-house. Communities both big and small have trusted the planners of Kendig Keist Collaborative and ENCODE Plus to make their codes more usable, helpful, and accessible. They're now a partner with MuniCode, the nation's largest codifier. Visit www.encodeplus.com, email info at encodeplus.com, or call 281-302-5847. Get ENCODE Plus today. Jordan. Uh, I, I handle policy and advocacy here at APA. Um, before I bring on our terrific panel, I did want to say just a couple of words. Um, this, this program tonight is one that's particularly near and dear uh, to me um, because of the very long-standing nature of the relationship of planners and uh, professionals involved in parks and recreation but also between APA as an organization and an RPA as an organization. Um, it's always uh, wonderful when the connection of the professionals working on the ground in local communities to make those communities better is reflected in the national organizations who are promoting those agendas. Of course, uh, park issues have been of long-standing interest, concern, and importance uh, to planners and to APA. Um, but I would say uh, today, more than ever, parks are a conversation here tonight is about the economic case for parks. Um, I think a lot of us who've been advocates for park issues uh, have talked about this for a long time, um, and we know instinctively that there's this enormous multiplier effect um, in, in parks. Uh, the really great story that we have tonight is that we now have hard uh, data to put around uh, that impact, and I think it really bolsters our case. And we have a terrific local case study to really examine, in particular, how um, that impact is felt in a local community. So what I'm going to do is introduce sort of each of the panelists very briefly. If you want full bio details, please uh, go to our website. You can find all the all the details there, um, and then I'll turn the stage over to them, and then I'll come back at the end and do uh, some uh, Q and A. Um, our first panel is Kevin Roth. Uh, Kevin is the Vice President of Research at the National Recreation and Parks Association. He also led research efforts at the Association for Financial Professionals and the National Association of Realtors. Um, we will then have a trio of experts from our friends across the river in Arlington. Um, we have uh, Elizabeth Guerin, um, AICP. Uh, she's a member of the Arlington County Planning Commission. Uh, William Ross is the Vice Chair of the Arlington County Park and Recreation Commission. And Jennifer Viaretti is the Deputy Director for the Arlington County Department of Parks and Recreation. With that, I will turn it over to Kevin. So thanks for being here. Um, well, thank you very much. Thanks for coming this afternoon. Um, I'm actually quite new at NRPA, actually, not, maybe not so new now, about nine months into the job. And when I was brought on board, one of the things I was asked to do is basically to try 
try to find ways, try to find data that helps sort out the story of, of the value of parks to communities. And um, I was had the fortunate benefit. I was fortunate to benefit from the fact that actually there were two projects that are already in motion when I came on board. And actually, those are the two projects I want to be talking very briefly about this evening. The first one is dealing with the economic impact of local parks. But also, I want to talk briefly about the second study, which there's a long title there. Um, probably should work more closely with marketing on that <laughs> next time. But internally, I call it, we call it the perception study. So that's when I'm talking about the perception study, that's that second study there. Uh, the economic study is, is very important. Um, up to this point, there has never been a nationwide study on the economic impact of, of local and regional parks. Park agencies. Um, obviously, there are a lot of examples out there already of, of local agencies themselves showing their impact on their local economy, but no one's really tried to aggregate that, that value. And that's, it was a great opportunity for NRPA to try to do that. To do that, we did, we uh, engaged with George Mason University and their, their Center for Regional Analysis to do this work. And I'm not going to geek out and tell you exactly what they did, but essentially they ran what's known as an economic input-output model from Implan using some U.S. Census Bureau data to basically drive it through to, to get the values that we're going to talk about today. More than welcome to, to read the report, and I'll be more than happy to talk to you here or afterwards about what they did um, with that. We previewed the results at our conference last September, and we released these back in November. So, when I give presentations, I like to go right to the punchline. So, the punchline of the report is basically the study that we did here found that that local regional park in 2013 was responsible for $140 billion in economic activity and nearly a million jobs just from the, the operations and capital spending of, of those agencies. Um, what is that, is that made of? Well, uh, in, in 2013, uh, local and regional parks spent $32.3 billion in just uh, operations spending alone. That translated into roughly about, uh, about $80 billion in economic, economic activity and about 660,000 jobs. The remainder of that came from the capital expense side, which means there were 334,000 jobs 340,000 you know, 340, jobs, excuse me, and just short of, of $40 billion, or $60 billion. Now, to be clear, all we're measuring here is the economic impact from the operations and, and capital spending of local and regional park agencies. And actually, this is quite a, so as a result, what you're seeing is a pretty conservative measure of the overall economic impact. There are a lot of things that were not a part of this economic study and then forward by design. Some of the things undoubtedly we would hear later from other groups that they do. We don't include any impact from visitor spending and tourism. Now, we actually had a practical, for most of these reasons, they were done for practical reasons because it's just, we, you know, you want to be able to present some data and, and, and begin to tell the story. But actually for local and regional parks, while there are obviously notable exceptions, in the case of local and regional parks, for us to see an economic impact, that value has to come from, from non-domestic uh, tourism, from crazy people coming in from, into the United States to visit local parks. Undoubtedly, there are, there are examples where that happened. We're not denying that doesn't happen. But as, as a but, but kind of a good simplification or a good, good to help make us drive this model a little bit easier, make, make our work a lot easier, we actually decided there was no economic impact U.S.-wide, nationwide, coming from local and regional parks. Again, there are exceptions to that, but we, we kept that out of there. We did not look at the environmental impacts, the, the benefits coming from the environment, from, from the advancement of the environment. We didn't look at anything in the health and wellness also. We know there's real impacts there. And finally, we didn't look at the property evaluation gains that we do see in a lot of communities. And Bianca, in that case, for us to do that nationwide, um, the team that started working on this project about like, two years ago would still be working on it today and probably be working on it for a long time. So, so this is a conservative measure just looking at operations and capital spending. Uh, 
but you know, when we look at those numbers, we combine them with some numbers we find about the states and the National Park uh, National Park Service. We get a really rough estimate that the economic value just from operations and capital thing is roughly about two hundred million dollars. And, and I'll be honest, with you, that's a very much of a back of the envelope calculation. I, I, you know, I wouldn't swear on everything about that, but we feel very confident about it. That's sort of in the, in the rough ballpark where that number is. And, and we actually, this number actually is a study, and NPS puts a number out roughly every year or every couple of years. And then uh, the state study, they sort of float around, but we kind of came up with these numbers as our estimate. If you have a chance to take a look at the report, I know there were some printed copies given outside, also on the website, we'll give an address at the end. There's also uh, economic data for all 50 states in the District of Columbia. And, and some of the interesting things about that, probably not surprising, the top five states of the economic impact are California, Illinois, Florida, New York, and Texas, which happen to be, just by coincidence, you know, very large states, and therefore, obviously, there's significant spending going on there. So we uh, we also took a, a quick look at sort of looking at a per capita basis. We just took the state population you know, and sort of normalized the economic impact by state population. And the list does change a bit. Actually, changes quite a bit. Illinois is number one, and that's not particularly surprising um, given what even I've learned in what, over my last nine months about what this, that state does. So the next four states are Colorado, North Dakota, Nevada, and Wyoming. And, and it does show in some of these states, especially out towards the west, sort of the impact and sort of the, uh, the, the dedication they have towards uh, park spending, uh, per capita basis, at least. But the main, main takeaway about all of this is basically, and this is sort of an important message for us. We've, we've been saying this as an organization for 50 years, almost 51 years now, the important impact that parks have in their communities. And we talk about that, you know, obviously in terms of conservation, health and wellness, and social equity. Uh, but we, we've never really had that common. I mean, now we have that, uh, that second phrase out that's common now, that basically we also are, are parks are, are economic engines for the community. And, um, you know, this is an important <coughs> message to tell. I mean, and, and you know this more than I do, that when you, when you go to your, when, when, when you have to deal with, with local, we have to local funding, people make that we love parks, they're very nice, but they feel like a luxury. Well, this is not actually a luxury. First of all, there's three things of economic, of, of conservation, health and wellness, and social equity themselves. We don't see those as luxuries to begin with. But in addition, these are economic, all the engines of economic activity. And, you know, if you, if you cut that spending, if you remove that spending, it isn't just, uh, you know, just getting rid of something that was kind of nice to have for a short period of time. You're actually impacting the economy in that region. <coughs> so let me briefly turn over to um, this other study, because there, there is this actually is tangentially related to the economic study. Uh, 25 years ago, um, NRPA did a study with, the, with Penn State University. Um, it had a very long, much even, even much longer title than this report had. Uh, that, that was basically a, a study of uh, a survey of, of Americans about their perceptions of parks. And that study found that Americans were quite passionate about what they felt about parks. Maybe, maybe, maybe they never were really asked the question again. But when they were asked about what parks provide to their communities, they, they, they felt strongly and they thought it was an important part of what made their, their local towns, their cities, their counties into communities. Uh, we actually commissioned in Penn State about a year ago to basically update that study. Dr. Andy Nallen was, 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 was the chief, the lead researcher there. We didn't preview those results in September. We actually released the full report in January, and here we are. I actually basically boiled this entire report down to, to three numbers. Uh, and this study, again, is based upon about 1,100 health phone interviews about, about, again, a little over a year ago. Um, the demographic mix roughly matches that of, of the U.S. population. But basically, you boil this whole thing down to three numbers. Seven out of ten Americans basically say they, they, they visit their local parks. A little over eight out of ten say they personally benefit from parks. And a little over nine and, and ten actually say their communities benefit from parks. So first of all, takeaway number one is that most Americans use, personally benefit, and believe their communities benefit from parks. 
But the second takeaway is that actually you don't have to actually use your local park. To be visiting your park, to be going to your local rec center, to not actually see that, A, you're personally benefiting from the fact that it exists, but also, B, your community benefits because of this. So it, it isn't just power users of, of, of the trail system or, or those that, that, that whose kids swim at the pool. It's, it's people knowing that across the street or around the corner, this asset exists for them. And it, it's there. I mean, perhaps there's an insurance policy for a future time when they want to use it or be it obviously promoting uh, community uh, um, building and so forth. Another key result is in this kind of connection here is we, uh, we pulled some data from, from our, our own database, um, our courageous database, that found out roughly at the time when, when they pulled the data that, and this is, again, a very rounded estimate, on a per capita basis, parking rate agencies spend roughly about $70 per person uh, on a per capita basis in red and in the red communities. Those numbers should move up and down quite a bit, and then I see the changes being made there. But, but, they, but it, we had to give some number to use for the telephone survey. And that's we said, based upon that, do you think that's actually giving good value for $70? And, and basically, four out of five agreed, it, it agreed that it was a great price. Actually, about two out of five actually said to be willing to spend more in the community to, to further to invest in their parks. And this is actually a very important thing for close to NRPA's part. Is basically, we also asked about our three pillars again, which are conservation, health and wellness, and social equity. And actually, we didn't literally ask. We didn't use those terms. We, we, we put some phrases up there that they basically are surrounded on these three concepts. And what we saw there is that, is that Americans agreed, strong, agreed strongly. Basically, six out of seven Americans, almost every one of them, agreed that basically these should be the chief priorities of the urban wealth and park systems. Um, in a case like social equity, the question it was, was basically, do you believe all Americans should have basically access to quality uh, parking rec services? Very strong. Now, here's the most interesting thing about this whole report, and, and, it, and it, I think it, it comes off the slide, and there's two things. This support for parks is across the board. It crosses age groups, it crosses, um, crosses household types, income strata, even political affiliation. You know, we live in a time, obviously, of great division, you know, on a political sense. But Republicans <laughs> and Democrats agreed on this, on this issue. The numbers weren't that far off, and in any case, in every question we were asking, basically they were agreeing that parks are an important part of their community and, and agreeing with everything we've been presenting there. The other thing that's really interesting, that's been sort of my final major takeaway from this report. This report was conducted in 1992, the study. The survey instrument was roughly the same. They took some questions out, but it was basically following the same order and, and, and where they kept the same questions, they were asked exactly the same way. The results from 1992 matched the results that we received in last year's, last year's survey. And that's remarkable for, for a couple of reasons. First, the nature of who our nation is has changed quite a bit demographically. We're older and more diverse in so many different ways. Um, and yet, yet we're seeing that strength. But number two is that we live in a time, as I watch my colleague, you know, pulling his phone out, I'm not trying to call you out, but that thing didn't exist 25 years ago, right? We didn't have these types of ways to, to interact with each other. We didn't have these, these tools to, 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 to engage and to entertain ourselves. And yet, despite that, parks are still an important part of what makes a community. And maybe, arguably, they're even needed more now because as much as as wonderful as this device is, you know, and, and how we can't think we can live without it, that thing still can't replace that contact with the, the connection to nature and, and, and sort of the ability to talk to each other in, in, in a unified spot. So basically, that's where our reports are. Please, please check them out. And, and um, after, after we hear all the other presentations, we'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you.
you. As a bit of background, Bill Ross and I, both Park and Recreation Commissioners in Arlington County, then wrote this white paper that this presentation is based on. We had seen a summary report of a similar uh, a similar report that was done for the district on the value of parks and open space that was created in part uh, through the Trust for Public Land. And we brought this to our commission, and our commission was very excited about pursuing a similar report for Arlington County. But at the time, there just wasn't enough broader interest in this to make it a top priority. So Bill and I decided to write this paper ourselves. And doing this on our own was in part to develop interest for a more comprehensive, thorough professional study. We felt that people would appreciate the value of having a full study with the primary data once they had a sense of the magnitude of the benefits that were brought from our local parks and open space. And as members of the Park and Recreation Commission, we had received a lot of comments, letters, public presentations in our meetings, people telling us that they wanted to see more parks in their neighborhoods, more open space, a bigger playground, and always calling for preservation for what was there. But Arlington County, like so many other thriving jurisdictions, has great population and very, very limited opportunities to create or expand our open space, our park spaces, competing demands for resources. So we thought that by identifying and monetizing where we could the benefits provided by parks and open space, we would add more information to the planning and policymaking process. To that end, we tried to identify a range of benefits provided by these spaces. So the first part of our paper, and this is on the webpage for the Arlington County Park and Recreation Commission, uh, is a traditional literature review. It is not comprehensive, but we think it's representative. We've noted. <laughs> research from a number of current or leading scholars that document these many and varied benefits that are provided by parks, open space, green space, access to review, and so on. We organize these findings and these types of benefits into the category similar to the ones that the Trust for Public Land uses. So for example, you'll see things like health benefits, community cohesion, social equity, environmental benefits. The underlying theme from the overall paper is that the scope of the benefits from these spaces is very broad. They create value when they're used, and they create value just by being there, their existence. And some benefits are easy to observe, and maybe we don't need to put a dollar value on them, such as opportunities for exercise, recreation, throwing a frisbee, dog walking. We can see that. We do that ourselves. And others are less so, such as this, uh, this idea that, and we've seen this last year, outdoor daylight exposure wards off nearsightedness. Some of the benefits are easy to measure in metrics like reduced ADD, ADHD behavior in children who have ADD, ADHD, but get regular outdoor playtime. They have a reduction in their symptoms. And some lend themselves easily to monetization, like property value increases with uh, proximity to parks. And those values can be converted at least in part to dollars, and that's the part the bill's going to talk about. You want me to do the slide for you? Yeah, thanks. I'll just tap the bottom of the microphone. Thank you. We um, did a, to get going on looking at the economic benefits, uh, we did a little bit of a literature review, and then we settled in on the, uh, the methodology that the Trust for Public Land has established. It's very, um, it's been done for quite a few years, and uh, Trust for Public Land has, um, has done several or numerous studies for, for many different communities. We chose to look at data or lessons learned from 10 different communities. You can see them listed up here. And if you look at it, you can see there's a, there's a wide 
variation in, in size, population, economic structure, or park and park and open space uh, setup, um, uh, tax and governing things, and uh, other attributes like that. But we, we said we wanted to look at these, these these ten studies and see what we could get out of the economic benefits that they provide, and see if it gives us some lesson, kind of a shortcut for looking at what's going on in Arlington. Um, and what the, the TPL approach does is they look at ten basic characteristics in terms of economic benefits, and you can see them listed up here. Um, uh, a lot of them, they've been uh, talked about. Uh, Elizabeth mentioned a couple of them. Uh, Kevin, Kevin even uh, cited a couple of them and looking at, at attributes that, that um, are worthy, worthy of paying attention to. The major ones, and, and we'll show you some numbers in a minute, are you're looking at the increased property values from park proximity. And uh, that's been well established. It, it's kind of a almost almost a, a, a truism in terms of looking at uh, real estate values in different communities. Uh, if you're within a, a block or two or a few hundred yards in a residential area, you're going to have a substantially increased property values. And there's various estimates of them, but TPL comes up with a certain approach for, for doing that. Associated with that, you're going to things, see things like uh, increased property sales, uh, and property uh, taxes, uh, sales taxes. And then um, you see some other uh, uh, value uh, Categories down there, health, uh, tourism effects, that's going to obviously make a difference depending on the community you're at. A place like Virginia Beach or San Diego, you can think of that there's a direct effect of tourists are coming for those beaches, for those county city parks, and that's going to have an obvious effect in certain places, say Arlington, it's not going to have as much of an effect. But the major um, category there is up in the middle, it's got a direct use value for park users. And this is the idea that um, we all um, Kevin was alluding to that somewhat. We all value uh, the ability or, or the opportunity to go visit our park, whether it's taking our kids for a walk, taking our dog for a walk, playing tennis, uh, jogging through the woods or whatever. There's a certain value. The economists end up, I think, using some what they call hedonic approaches, and there's surveys that are done to come up with measures of values. In any case, we then looked at the individual dollar values for each of these 10 characteristics for those 10 communities. And for Arlington, what we ended up doing was say, well, let's keep it a little simple. Let's just, let's assume that Arlington is in the, the range of, of the average of all those, those 10 communities, those effects. And, um, let's, let's, let's take the average of those communities and let's normalize it. Let's, let's get those numbers so they're, uh, they're comparable. And the way you do that is you take the dollar value for, for all of your individual effects and you divide through by the number of acres of park or open space that each of these communities has. You come up and then you take an average of that. And we did something else. We said, well, there's 10 communities. There's a couple of outliers there, you could argue. There's some pretty high values, low values. And so we applied on what you want to call the, uh, the Olympic uh, figure skating judging approach. So we took out the score from the, uh, the East German judge and the score from the English judge, and we, we averaged the, the eight other ones just to, to try to keep things maybe a bit more reasonable. You can see here we show for Arlington what we ended up with, and we've, we've consolidated a couple of these, these uh, effects. And the increased property value is, is a big one. It ends up being almost $160 million dollars. 
um, if, if you believe our assumptions of what we were doing. And again, increased property values, that's, a, that's what you could call a single or one-time effect. Once your property value is enhanced by being close to a park, that's, that's what it is. And it will increase over time, but basically it's a one-time effect. All the other effects, direct use, all the health benefits, uh, environmental impacts, those are ongoing annual uh, benefits that, that you might see happening. You go to the next one. Yes. And again, these are just uh, accumulating those numbers again. So that's what we end up for, for Arlington County. It's a ballpark estimate. It's hypothetical. It's, uh, you might say it's a fancy back of the, back of the envelope guess, but um, it has ended up proving very useful for us in our community discussions and uh, um, looking at things. Go to the next one. Now, if, if say you wanted to apply it to your community, well, it turns out using our sim simple approach here, we can use what we call a couple of multipliers. And you see the number up there in, in, in the yellow, 78,252, that's the average value across our, our averages for the other communities per acre. And then if you wanted to, uh, just as a hypothetical for your community, you could apply your own park and open space acreage. And we, in this example, looked at our, our good neighbors to the west, Fairfax County, Virginia. Well, it turns out, you can see the numbers there, there's a, there's a value of 23,310. That was a, an acreage I had for Fairfax County. That happens to be about 10 times what Arlington is. But you can see the types of numbers you end up with if you do that. For um, property value increase, 1.8 billion. And for the annual benefits, it happens to be, it turns out that it's about, it's similar on an annual ongoing basis. So, and we could talk about this in Q&A if you wanted to, or we've got the paper that, that people could, could, uh, look at to, to see how this works out. And, um, so I will leave it back to you. Uh, 
Um, Arlington in total, and this doesn't just include Arlington County, spent about $250 per person. So it's fairly large, close to 70. So um, our numbers, we can't do anything without our numbers. And that's my favorite thing, by the way. So as some of you may be aware, um, Arlington at 26 square miles is the second most densely populated jurisdiction in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, our median age is about 33 years old. Um, we have more kids, more seniors, which means more of everything, more demands for our programs and services. We're also seeing an increase in density along our urban corridors, and that's the, the heat map there indicates where our urban corridors are. Um, and by 2040, we anticipate seeing another 68,000 residents come to, coming to us. So in terms of uh, park access, we have, um, uh, we have a lot of our land area um, that's accessible to parks within a, within a quarter mile. So we're doing pretty well. In total, when we include um, our Arlington Public Schools, federal lands, regional lands, we have over 10,000 uh, acres of open space, and that's about 12.4% of the total land area. Um, and that's home to parks, to our resource protection areas, to our community facilities, our fields, um, and other park amenities. Um, NRPA talks about that. They recommend that in a community you have about 10 acres per thousand people. We're at 9.5 acres per thousand. Of course, that's not always going to stay that rate. As we grow as a community, we'll also have to look at um, those ratios and how we maintain um, enough open space for our um, residents, visitors, and business businesses. So our facilities, um, we have a range of facilities, but not all of them are alike, both in size and the types of amenities and programs that we offer. I will say the one constant is that we have to squeeze a lot of different uses into our community centers. So our urban tra uh, tree canopy is uh, on average 40% across the county, however that is not um, standard across the county in our, our more densely populated areas, we have a lot um, less tree canopy. And um, to give you some perspective, from 2008 to 2011, three years, we lost 3% um, of our coverage, which is about 500 acres of land, and that's um, 378 football fields, or for the um, bocce enthusiasts, 19,000 bocce courses. <laughs> Um, and another little fun fact, we have 19,000 tree trees, and that's valued using a tree calculator at about a million dollars a year. That's valued coming back to the county. So our programs, we have a variety of different programs for all ages. In FY15, we had 35,000 unique participants, averaging 2.25 activities per person. So that's over 78,000 um, enrollment in our program. And taking a closer look at our um, enjoy classes, so this is Taekwondo, art, this is music, and this is for all ages as well. Notice here that uh, the two largest bars are dominated by our, our youth, and that's reflected in our growing population. 
Our fields, um, we have 110 fields, and our premier, premier fields, which is about 36 or so, um, are all operating at capacity. So this includes synthetic and natural turf. Natural turf alone, 75% um, of our fields exceed the recommended um, standard, national standards for use. If you remember one thing from this presentation, it is this. Fun is not frivolous. Um, great urban parks, they create place. And place generates a return on investment. When localities create parks, they improve property value, and they also support local business. So this is some more information, some national um, standards, just to give you some more context, and we talked a little bit about it in the previous presentations, but um, parks do have an impact. And um, studies show that if you live um, close to an open space, within um, usually about like a tenth of a mile, you can see five to 10% um, impact to your property values. And um, similarly, that goes along with um, trees. So for uh, residential properties, we see a 5% increase in property values with trees in your front yard and 9% um, with a well-treated neighborhood. And uh, residents don't always just get the fun. Um, it also applies to businesses as well. So we see a 7% increase in the office retail rate and also an increase in consumer spending with well-treated streets. So here's our handy-dandy heat map, only this time it's with special events. Special events are an asset, and um, some communities more than others. Um, it is sometimes hard to quantify, especially here in the region, because we have a lot of crossover from, from D.C. and other parts of the region. But, um, in addition to supporting successful community building, um, they also have a significant local um, impact on the economy, both direct and indirect. And just as an example for Arlington, the Marine Corps Marathon brings in about 140,000 people who are ready and willing to spend money in our community. Um, and we have many other large events. Um, a lot of them are in Roslyn and Gateway Park, also bringing thousands of dollars mm. to Arlington. So um, I'm going to walk you through some successful projects that have been transformational for the Parks Department. And there's five of them that we'll focus on. And they, they, they kind of run the gamut from the large to the really small. So our first one, some of you may be familiar, is Longbridge Park. It's a 30-plus acre park. Um, we, we converted it from light industrial to um, the park space. And uh, what's great about it is we've already invested $37 million, but we had a partnership with Marymount University, who also um, kicked in some funds to help develop the first phase of the park. Uh, there's three lighted multi-use fields, esplanade, promenade, three-quarter acre rain garden, and there's more to come. So far, it's become a major pedestrian attractor. Um, we have a one special event on the 4th of July that brings 10,000 people, just that one thing. So Penrose Square, 
a little smaller. Um, we invested $2.2 million, uh, and we transformed what was a previous uh, parking lot um, into a great gathering space along Columbia Pike. We've got a number of amenities, a water feature, which actually recycles water, um, public art, and um, many other things. There's usually, on any given uh, weekend, you'll have movie nights, which bring about um, 200 people per evening. Rocky Run Park, this was a capital maintenance project. So we invested $3.3 million. Rather than take the park and upgrade it piecemeal, we decided we were going to hold off and do everything comprehensively, which enabled us to reimagine the park in its entirety. Same elements are there, but now they just work for the community in, in a better way. So we went from very few visitors to now we have people from of all ages. You come on any, any summer night. Monday through Sunday, it doesn't matter what day, and you will see um, the entire park teeming with people. I think a really good performance measure would be to ask the ice cream man how much he's spending now versus what he spent before at the park. It's incredible. Clarendon Pop-Up Park is what we call it. Um, is a partnership with the Korean Embassy where we, um, it's a temporary park. Um, along with one of our busy uh, urban corridors, the Roslyn-Balton corridor. We have both passive and active space. Um, when I say small investment, big impact, I mean it. We only spent $225,000 for this. And what we see is, and this is probably not the best depiction because there's not a lot of people here, but during, um, during the daytime, people are sitting down and eating their lunch. Um, and in the evening, it becomes a really vibrant place for people to play bocce and, and do some other types of activity. Sherlington Dog Park. Okay, so this is a super popular dog park that has 11.4 acres. It runs, runs along the four-mile run. Um, it has a ton of amenities, both for humans and furry friends. And um, what's really interesting is we found out that there's about 5,000 dogs per week. Now, how did we figure this out? Well, there's a sponsorship group um, that provides poop bags. <laughs> And we go through about 10,000 a week. So we're assuming, you know, the dogs visit the, the site twice a day, and they're full out, and we have our number. <laughs> so in even great communities, shift happens. Um, ICMA's Alliance for Innovation has identified four future forces that will impact how we live and how we interact with one another. That's resources, technology, demographics, and governance. So Arlington is taking a step back, and again, this is part of our this presentation was part of our strategic conversation with our county board, and looking at ways, looking at examples uh, of how we can address the, those changes and be prepared. So I'm going to get walk you through some examples of what we would really like um, to, at least in concept, apply in Arlington. Um, the first the first of these forces was resources, and so we have to do more with less. Um, and so going vertical is one way of approaching it. And this is Ma Maggie Daly Park um, in Chicago, and um, what they did was they built a 20-acre park on top of an underground garage. Super cool. I, we had an opportunity to go there as part of the innovation labs with um, NRPA, and it's even better in person. Uh, Chicago actually purchased the underground, there's a series of underground garages. They made about $350 million in, on this 99-year lease deal, reinvested it in the park, 
And um, what they got as a result was a climbing wall, a quarter acre um, skating ribbon, which is also open to rollerbladers during the summer, um, a series of um, playgrounds, places to picnic. I mean, it's just it's, it's amazing. There's also a restaurant that they're bringing on board, ultimately, which will also feed back into the park support. So the, the total, if you're curious, the total cost is $56.5 and they had about $16.5 million in donations. So, again, with resources, um, food scarcity, urban agriculture, uh, as the planet gets hotter, we're going to see uh, decreases in food production and increasing costs. As a result, we're going to need to grow sustainable food locally. And uh, rooftops are part of that mix. In, in a way, it's uh, a way of scaling up urban agriculture. And um, they're also, they have some good perks for building owners and um, local businesses. So what you're looking at here is Arbor House in South Bronx, which is an 8,000 square foot commercial hydroponic greenhouse on top of an affordable housing building. We certified uh, platinum. And not only did this create food, which was used to feed the residents and they sold some of it as well, but they also gave green jobs to the people who live in the building. Right? So this is technology, access to information. Um, I don't have to tell you that technology is going to transform how we live, and it already has. But in terms of parks, what does that mean? Well, we can improve access to information by putting Wi-Fi in our parks, sharing information through our digital screens, maybe even advertisements at some point in the future. Um, and also, this is actually a, an image of, um, of one park that uses the kiosk to accept donations so people can donate right then and there. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be right if I did not show Detroit and how it packs the punch. Mm -hmm. um, so here, it, we're talking about demographics, and we see two large demographic trends. We have a younger population, and it's diversifying. So in order to adjust, we're going to have to look for new relationships and collaborations, and they did just that. Um, this is a 1.2-acre park in the heart of downtown Detroit, surrounded by offices, residents, retail. Um, it is an active year-round space with over 2 million visitors a year. It's incredible. Um, what this did was help revitalize the area. They spent $20 million, and within a two-block radius, there's now $700 million worth of development after the park was installed. So um, in terms of governance partnerships, um, one of the, the keys to our resiliency will be just that, to create partnerships where we don't have them. And Union Square Park in New York City is a great example of that. Um, they renovated the park with, they created this new bid, renovated the park, um, and development sprung up all around the park. Um, they established farmer's markets, seasonal markets, they have um, other types of programming that attract people, uh, provide business opportunities, and give the community a connection to the food that grows around them. Um, so it's something that we, we see as near and dear to heart, our heart and would like to replicate. And community engagement, 3.0. So yes, Arlington uses all of the standard um, community engagement tools, 
but we're also looking at new ways to reach out to people. So we built these blackboards um, and put them out in one of our parks and asked people what they thought about the park. Now, we have a, actually a newer version of this, which is much larger, but the idea is just to capture people who are, who are hanging out in the park who wouldn't necessarily answer a survey or come to a night meeting. Uh, we also put together this um, value card game where we ask people to, to determine where they want to spend their money at Longbridge Park, and you only had so much money to spend. So, again, just trying to look at different ways to engage people because we, we can't do it alone. And I'll leave you with this. So in the future, we'll still have a passion for interaction. Mm -hmm. Collaboration will still be at the heart of every great project. Well, that was great, guys. Thanks so much. Um, we do have take about five minutes for um, some questions uh, from the audience. We have a limited amount of time. If you could keep them as succinct as possible, that, that would be helpful. But we do have some time. So questions for the panel? Yes, sir. How much real estate is available um, for continuing to expand pocket parks in Arlington? Private, private real estate? Or, like, unbuilt up real estate? We don't have a lot. I think with Arlington, we're in the process of redeveloping our existing kind of um, low-density development in certain areas. So there are certain, there are a couple of locations that we've identified, but when we've approached the, um, the property owner, there, there hasn't been a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. And I will just speak frankly, I think people are concerned that if you put some sort of temporary use in, in that location, when it comes time to redevelop, the community is not going to want, not going to want that to happen. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that real conflict that we still have to address. Mm -hmm. um, one of you mentioned, I can't remember which one, for Arlington County, you talked about great parks, people's great cities, and it's been an affair. And then it said, you mentioned this is part of the second generation of Smart Growth. I don't know which one of you said it. No. Well, does it, it does, it, does, do you know what were you referring to when you, when you use that? The second generation of smart growth and parks, is that, is there anything more you can span, expand upon that or? Well, I think it's, um, I, I think it's just the idea of, uh, move, moving ahead and, and thinking about the economic, oh, I think it, um, I think it has to do with, uh, thinking about these economic benefits and uh, trying to um, incorporate that into the, the planning process and the idea of going and defending your budget, for example, or promoting uh, additional acquisition of, uh, of open space and things like that, and trying to get that into to, to the thinking about whatever you're doing with your limited urban land that you have, you've really got to take that into account. I mean, Arlington, I know, had, had has this, this reputation for what we did with the metro over the last 40 years or so. And yet, if you, frankly, if you look at the Roslyn-Balston quarter up there um, and you start to see how many residential uh, places are being built there, you start to think, oh, maybe we didn't quite do that right. Maybe we needed uh, a few more smaller parks and, and acquisition there. So I think that's kind of the idea of uh, the second generation. Thank you.
the first presenter. Um, so you took away the obvious ones that I would use to calculate the value, and I'm just wondering what you did end up using. Um, besides the property value, the tourist dollars, and um, health benefits. Well, basically, the uh, the, the, the math that, that was occurring there is they they used a bureau of Bureau of Labor Statistics data on, on uh, local and regional uh, agency employment. And that's actually what ran the in-plan model. It basically picked out the output that does the friendly model. So the study only looks at the, at the economic impact of operations and capital expenditures. I mean, it just, that, the actual government spending that's going on, and that's sort of how that ripples through the economy in terms of direct, indirect, and induced economic impacts. So, it's really just one, it's just one part of the overall impact that could be there. Thank you. How has your report moved the needle on your budget in Arlington County? Has it, are you seeing more traction among elected officials and decision makers on, based on the economic impact study? I'm not sure if I can say it's based on the economic impact study, but over the last two weeks, the county, the planning commission and the county board have been looking at the redevelopment of the Bornetto property in Roslyn, and the discussion has been greater in terms of is this enough space that they're allocating as they redevelop the site. We've asked them to put together something close to an acre that would be usable by the community since that's a gentrifying part of the county. And it's been heartening to see at least two board members raise the issue, is this space big enough? And certainly several members of the planning commission did. So with our report, we weren't thinking we would change people's minds overnight, but we did want to broaden the discussion. And maybe this is part of it. I hope so. Um, I'm not entirely sure uh, how big of an issue is displacement in Arlington County, um, but out of curiosity, are you guys looking into capturing some of the economic uh, revenue that you guys were speaking of in terms of, like, countering it in some way, either through, like, TIF revenues or inclusionary zoning ordinances, something along those lines? I, I know that's, like, pretty, like, uh... I don't think there are a lot of redevelopment areas in Arlington County you might be able to handle this better that actually use TIF revenue. Um, most of our redevelopment is privately owned sites like the Bornado site. They own it. They want a redevelopment and increase their density. And it's true. As part of increasing that density, one of the amenities they're providing is this larger open space. So um, there, you're right. There's very limited opportunities. However, we do... We do have um, a synthetic TIF in the Pentagon City, Crystal City, Potomac Yard area, and that captures the relative increase based on 2008 um, real estate values um, of the, business, the businesses in that area. That money is put into a fund which is used for transportation purposes, not for park purposes. Okay. Um, although there is a in the narrative, it just does talk about uh, being used for open space, although at this point in time, the county's been focused on using it for transportation. Any last question out there? Sure. How do you count how many people use the park? <laughs> humans, I think we know. <laughs> so we have, um, we have a, a, a a number of individuals, our, our rangers and, and rovers, who will go out to our parks and take um, 
counts mm-hmm. on occasion. It is, it's not um, statistically significant. Um, we, we go out and we just look at what's happening at the, the, um, in our parks, and we'll use that to just help with our planning. But it's not done on any level of frequency, maybe um, on a quarterly basis. So that's just by people count. We're seeing some interesting stuff on tracking use parks uses by cell phone data. So as soon as you walk into a space, you kind of put a, a virtual fence around a park, and as soon as you walk in with your and it detects your your device accounts and accounts that you need to work. I mean, there's a lot of privacy implications there, obviously, um, but there is some technology for the Central Park Conservancy is looking into this and some other. Uh, agencies are looking to get a better sense of exactly how many people are actually using there. And there, there is also some academic literature on this, and, and I'll, I'll get it all wrong if I speak about it right now, but um, something called Soap Park, where basically there is a methodology doing some sampling. They actually often students or volunteers who are following the form uh, based upon who's showing up, not just, just counts, but also maybe some information about what are they doing, uh, what activities they're participating in, do some sampling. You, can, you basically at that point you're going to repeat a number out. But it is, uh, you're talk, your, your question is actually one of the great challenges of every park agency out there, especially when beyond being asked about the economic impact, you're also saying, how do you know people are even using the parks? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and just picking up on that quickly, if you're calculating that per user value, I mean, you need to have a, a, a fairly accurate so, estimate of users in order for that number to be valid, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great. A um, couple housekeeping things um, that I just wanted to mention. Um, first, we have a, an annual recognition program of places that we call great places in America, and parks are often very well represented on that list. We're currently soliciting your ideas for this year's round of great places in America. So if you've got a park that you really love or another neighborhood or uh, street or the other categories that uh, you'd like to recommend. We'd encourage you to uh, go online and, and give us that information. Just wanted to repeat what Kevin mentioned about the webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. If you want more information about that, happy to uh, partner with NRPA on that. Uh, and if you're interested in next month's uh, Tuesdays at APA program, it also has a recreation theme. It's on April 19th. Uh, and we're featuring our friends at Kaboom talking about transforming everyday spaces into places for play. So that should be uh, a good bookend to this conversation. Please join me in thanking NRPA.